This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode number 85. Let's go. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the show today. Today, I'm honored to have Devin Elder on the show, and I love interviewing people who quit their jobs with apartments. Love it. And they're the most popular, most downloaded shows out there. And so Devin's going to share with you exactly how he transitioned from a full-time job to being a full-time multifamily entrepreneur. And like so many, he fits the profile, starting with single-family houses, then realizing, gosh, uh, multifamily is the way to go, doing the first small multifamily deal, and the law of the first deal takes over, and the second and third deal follow in rapid, almost automatic succession, in his case, going from a six-unit to a 75 and then 192-unit. Wow, she launched it. But he talks a lot about not taking action for many years and having mindset issues around raising money early on. So really struggled with actually going out on his own, but he did it. And that's what's so powerful. So let's get right into the interview with Devin Elder. Hey, Devin, welcome to the show today. Hey, Michael, thanks for having me. Yeah, give us a little induction to yourself before we get into it. Sure. So I was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. I still live here with my wife of nine years and three kids. I've got some family here. And as fate would have it, I have a lot of real estate here now too. I kind of follow the axiom of grow where you're planted, right? I don't go and seek out other markets. I do all my stuff here. I graduated college here with a business degree, got into the corporate world, did that for a lot of years. Like a lot of people listening to this can relate to, I'm sure I got pretty fed up with that and eventually got into real estate with the goal of turning that into my, my full-time career. So it took a couple of years burning the candle at both ends, but now I've been a full-time real estate investor for a number of years and I love doing it. I love growing the business. I love that aspect of it. I love bringing on partners and making money together and it provides me that satisfaction of owning the business. And it also provides me the flexibility to go pick up my kids from school or, you know, do those other things that I want to without having those corporate constraints. So that's kind of the story in a nutshell. Awesome. Let's rewind the clock a little bit here. I know you said you were doing a corporate job and you kind of got into real estate. What was going on in your life and your job that even required you to look for a solution? What was the problem? Well, ever since I got out of school and started in a corporate job, I found myself really working a ton and not having a lot of time or energy left over for much else at all. And that was even before marriage and kids and everything. And then as you know, we started having kids and my wife and I have three wonderful children, but you know, that brings on new responsibilities. And I found as I would climb the corporate ladder, my pay would go up a little bit, or maybe my email signature would have a slightly better title in it or whatever, which at some point was important to me. And, and now I kind of realized that that stuff is, has zero importance to me. But as I would get more income from my corporate job, I would also lose some time and lose some autonomy and create more responsibility and stress. And it just didn't seem sustainable. And then it kind of culminated for me after a number of years, I was working really busting my butt in a job and I got fired from it. And to me, that was like, it was like a car crash because I know people get fired all the time, but in this specific job, I was sincerely busting my butt, sincerely giving it my all. I mean, every ounce of me into this job and to have it pulled that the rug pulled out was, was such a negative experience for me that I, I vowed that I would find a, an alternative 
for that not to happen to me at some point in the future, if that makes sense. So you were let go of this one job. And then is that when you started looking into real estate or how did that even come about? Yeah, it was kind of serendipitous in that I had just gotten my first single family rental and I was skeptical about that being a viable investment. But I was a couple of months into it and I had bought it, renovated it and refinanced it. And the numbers looked really good and it was cash flowing. And so I was a few months into my very first investment and I had decided, boy, this is a viable investment. I saw the numbers before, but you really have to cross that chasm from you know, wanting to be an investor to being an investor. And so I jumped over that chasm. I wasn't an investor, albeit a new one. And then a couple months in, I got fired. So it was like a sign that you know, I had this new thing that I could pursue that I had proven. I just had to do it a lot more. I went and found another job and vowed that that would be my last corporate job. And it was. I worked it for a couple of years, was able to, to get out of it after a while. So you decided obviously to go with a single family house route at the time. And what was your strategy or your goal from that point? I said, it's, you know, enough is enough. I can't have this again. What was your plan at the time? Well, I had seen some equity capture and some cash flow on that first house. And I thought, well, my bills are, are X amount. And if I string together enough of these houses, I can meet those bills. Not only can I meet the bills with the cash flow, if I do that over you know, these number of units, I'm going to have a ton of equity that is going to stack up pretty quick compared to the corporate earnings. And these days, my philosophy is you work to get equity or you work to learn. But working for just money is, is a fool's errand for sure. That was my goal was to create enough cash flow on a monthly basis that would cover my living expenses and then I could jump out. And so you just started buying rental houses. Yeah, a ton of single family rentals. And, you know, and I got a good team together to do the renovations and I would go on my lunch breaks and buy houses and title company would come to me, you know, meet me at my car at work and we'd sign docs or meet me at a Starbucks and we'd do a closing and it was all very incognito. <laughs> and it was a lot of work doing the single family hustle, but it did the trick at least to get me out of the job, which is an important first step. So, so you actually used single family houses to get out of the job. That's awesome. How long did it take you? How many houses did you need for that? It took me a little over two years hmm. doing that. My introduction to multifamily, I bought a six unit that I bought myself and ran myself, which I wouldn't do again, but it was a good first step. So between the six unit and I had about 20 units, 20 doors altogether, including that six unit. And that covered my uh, bills in terms of cash flow. That's awesome. That's fantastic. What was that last day like at work? You know, it was kind of bittersweet. It wasn't this big F you, I'm out of here. You know, I don't believe in burning bridges or anything. And in fact, I had kind of played it low key with my boss. And I still feel bad about this to this day, but I was just about to quit. And I said, you know, if I could keep this as a consulting gig, I could still make some money. And so I pitched that to my boss, but I could work from home and still do real estate. And I pitched that to my boss and he pitched to his boss and his boss. And so two weeks later, he goes, Devin, I got good news. We can keep you on as a consultant. And, uh, you know, you can get all your other demands at work from home and all this stuff. And at that point, I had just decided that I needed to be out 100%. I did not want anything to do with this job. And I said, thank you, but I'm sorry, I'm actually 100% out. And I resigned. And it was, you know, if you've seen that movie Shawshank Redemption, where Andy Dufresne crawls through the tunnel and he comes out and he's standing in the rain and there's rain coming down. It felt like that. It moved me to tears because I've been working on it for over two years. And I, it was not an accident. It was very deliberate. It took a lot of time and energy. It was incredible. It was a milestone between life events for me, between marrying my wife and each of my three kids being the top four highlights. Leaving that corporate job was the fifth, hand, hands down. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, for some reason, you didn't kind of sit on the beach. You kind of kept going and you shifted strategy a little bit. Can you talk about that? Well, I'd seen the kind of economies of scale with multifamily. The stuff you talk about a ton on the podcast and that you teach, the single family stuff is a great investment. You know, I encourage everybody to have one single family rental if they don't have any real estate. I think it's a great starter investment. But you start to look at the number of utility bills you have and the number of insurance bills and they're in different parts of town. And I got really good at delegating stuff and and creating systems and using software to not really have to manage it much. But for years, my goal was I'm going to hit this uh, cash flow amount and it's going to be awesome and I'm going to be functionally retired. And then I did it and you go, boy, it sure would be cool to to do four or five times this, you know, and you start looking at growing a single family business to four or five times your cash flow, and you're going, there's no way. I, I don't want to own 100 houses, 150 houses, like it's just crazy. But you can own a 100 unit apartment complex, and people do all the time. I'd seen that kind of economies of scale, so I started shifting more into that world. I still do both. I have a, a team now that helps me with a lot of the single family stuff, so I don't spend a ton of time on it. We still acquire a lot of houses, but I've been able to shift over the last couple of years into bigger and bigger multifamily projects. And that's definitely where my passion is. And in terms of growing a business, what I love about multifamily is already a baked in business that the bank wants to lend money on. It's not like I'm trying to go start a subway or go get a, a giant loan for some unproven model. I mean, it's a very established business model that banks love to lend money on. Yeah, that's exactly right. So so you decided, hey, I want to keep doing this. I kind of enjoy it. You had the single family house kind of licked and you were thinking multifamily at the time. It's more scalable, a lot less work. What did you do to get started with that? Well, the starting point for me, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend this to anybody, was buying that six unit myself. I got a loan from a, a regional bank. I didn't put very much money into it. It was already occupied. In fact, there wasn't a huge value add component. I just went in, cleaned them up, and was able to raise the rents from five and a quarter to six and a quarter, which percentage-wise, pretty pretty big jump. And it was making some nice cash flow, but I was managing every aspect of it, you know, C minus area, maybe a D area, and it was kind of a lot of running around. It was not great in terms of my return on my time, but the thing for me in terms of raising capital was I didn't feel I was ready to take other people's money yet. I wanted to go buy a property and operate it profitably before I felt comfortable. So after doing that, running that little six unit and all my single families for a period of about a year, I started to get comfortable with the idea of raising capital from other people to, to put together a deal. So I did a lot of networking, a lot of educating myself, have some friends, fortunate to have some friends that own much, much larger properties. And those guys were kind of a beacon for me in that if you've got friends that own 500 units and they're sitting next to you at dinner going, what are you messing around with this house stuff, man? Like, Buy, go buy a hundred unit, man. You, you got to make the jump. And so that social kind of aspect really helped me to get out of my comfort zone. So how did you surround yourself with these guys? I mean, did you know them all your life or is this something that came about? How did you surround yeah, yourself? That's with a good, I actually joined a local mentor group, which I definitely recommend for people. Do your homework. You know, there's a lot of get rich quick real estate stuff out there for sure. But there's a lot of quality stuff out there too. So I was able to hook up with some local guys through a group that kind of got me into that atmosphere. And I can't really say enough about having the right peer group. We've all heard that your net worth is the, you know, some of the five people you hang around with most or whatever. But for whatever reason, we really do mimic our social circle. So it was a very deliberate on my part to start spending time with people that were doing the things that I wanted to be doing. And it had a big impact. 
Yeah, I think that's important. I think maybe you kind of glossed over a little bit, but these guys are telling you, hey, what are you doing with these single family houses? And you're like, you listen to it often enough. You're like, yeah, what am I doing? I think having looked at my own experience, it just gives you a confidence that you didn't have before. Yeah, that's 100% true. And even somebody just saying that they have confidence in you can be a very mind altering thing to go through. It's very interesting. Yeah, it is. It is very interesting. So the, the raising money part. So you did a six unit. You wanted to get some track record on that. And then you decided yeah. to actually raise money and syndicate. So what was your next deal after that first multi-unit? Yeah. So it's a 75 unit deep value add apartment complex. Now I've got quite a bit of experience over the years renovating. I mean, all kinds of things on single family. I mean, you know, stuff with fire damage, foundation damage, where we're doing adding square footage, you know, so I've kind of built up this bench of a crew to be able to handle any kind of renovation. So there's a project in San Antonio, 75 units, that was really a scary, scary project in terms of like, you didn't feel safe physically walking on the property. <laughs> Occupancy was really low. It was, you name it, man. I mean, the, the kind of uh, characters that were there. So it was really like a complete turnaround project. So it was a $1.2 million renovation budget on 75 units, which is pretty high per door. And I did a capital raise on that one. We got 11 investors together. I put some money in my own in the deal. It's funny, when I sold the six unit, I had the proceeds for literally 24 hours before I wired them in for the next deal. I didn't get to enjoy that money for a second. It just rolled over to the next project. Perfect. So, perfect. Um, What challenges did you have in raising money when you first started doing that? None. I mean, I think I created enough of a network and enough of a track record and talked about it long enough. I mean, I think the key here is this database, and, and that's a very cold term, but your group of friends and investors that you can communicate with over time and just foster that relationship. And, and you know, face-to-face is, is even better. So I kind of had a group of friends that had maybe funded single family deals before where, you know, they made a great return with me and I got them their money back. And, you know, anytime you give somebody their money back on an investment, that's always a huge vote of confidence. And they start to see that it's real and you're the real deal. So I kind of had a group there that I built up so that when I was finally ready for that bigger project, that the capital was there and I had some folks that already believed in me. Now, were you already raising- And then really the strength of the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It sounds that way. Were you raising money for your single family house or was that the first time you actually asked people for money? Yeah. So I started out with hard money in single family. I did about 10 houses, uh, maybe eight or 10 houses. I can't remember. Before I ran into a guy that was like, well, look, you've done all these houses. You you have the wherewithal. You just use my money. It'll be a little bit cheaper and I'll be easier to work with. And so that was like the light bulb going off for me in terms of raising capital. And then I realized that I could raise a lot of money doing that. And then, then I realized I could raise money to buy pretty much any house that I wanted. And so I'd raise, by that point, really couple million dollars on houses where borrow 150, give it back four months later, borrow 175, give it back six months later. And that kind of created this thing where I was just using private money for the single family stuff, which I still do today. And then some of those folks, you know, were comfortable with me to kind of move into the multifamily world on a different projection, right? I mean, you know, it's a multi-year hold. The returns are a little bit different, but they've got equity versus on the single family stuff. It's just debt. So it was a little different, but that had kind of built my muscle. And I'll tell you, looking back, it was all just a confidence thing. I mean, it was just a matter of convincing myself that I was capable of raising this money going out and doing it. For me personally, I had to kind of do that in incremental steps. And that's just my path. I know others jump right into it. Yeah, it's definitely a confidence thing. I found interesting you said that, hey, I wasn't confident or comfortable in taking someone's money. I need to do the first 16 unit myself. 
I'm wondering now, knowing what you know now, would you act differently then or would you still recommend that someone does their own deal first before taking someone else's money? I recommend people jump right into 80 plus units and just skip it all. You know, and people that's look what at me I was go, hoping really? you'd say. I didn't prime you on this, but that's what I was hoping you'd say. <laughs> yeah, I call it no man's land between five and 80 units. It's no man's land. You're going to struggle with staff. I mean, let's look at a multifamily deal. If you're budgeting a thousand dollars a door for staff. Well, if you buy 40 units, you have forty thousand dollars a year for payroll. Man, that's part time people. It's tough. Over 80 units, you got 80,000 for payroll, you know, give or take. I would say between like five units and 80 units, you know, stick with single family or jump into the big stuff where you can afford management and all that stuff. And people told me that for years. Hey, it gets easier as you scale bigger and it seems counterintuitive. But yeah, that's what I tell people now is just skip it all. Go to the, go to the big stuff where you can afford some decent stuff. So, so it is a confidence thing. 100%. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, so if you could travel back in time and speak to your youngest self, when would you travel back to and what would you tell yourself? Well, ideally, I would travel back to my 15-year-old self and say, here's my notebook. Buy everything in San Antonio. It's going to be worth five times as much. So if I really had my genie's wish, I would go buy everything I could as a teenager. More practically, I think when I started my investing career, I would have told myself, this multifamily thing is a way to go. Save all your pennies, sell everything you can, hoard your money, get your first deal done. Because once your first deal is done, the second deal isn't far behind. And for sure, the first deal is going to be the hardest. I mean, you talk about it all the time, the law of the the first deal. Once you do it, almost by law, the subsequent deals follow. So I would go back and tell myself when I started investing, Look, single family is great return, but if you can put some money together and put a network together to start doing these bigger deals, you're going to grow bigger much faster with a lot less minutia. If I was starting over, that's what I'd do. Now, even your little six-unit deal, right? I mean, that six-unit deal, as aggravating as it was, set you up, right? I mean, you'd have to go yeah. out of your way not to do that second deal, a 75-unit. And it's just amazing to me. The 75-unit was not your last deal, or are you, what have you been doing since then? The last deal is a 192-unit deal in San Antonio. When I look at those numbers, 6, 75, and 192, I kind of chuckle, right? Because thinking about buying 192 houses, man, I've bought a lot of houses and I still do. You know, We buy a lot of houses for sure, but it's kind of its little business unit. It's running and doing its thing. But So that's the latest project. That's definitely more of a stabilized project in a nicer area. There's definitely still a value-add component. We're projecting 8 to 10% cash on cash return, and we're projecting a, an equity multiple of two over five years. So, you know, if somebody gives us 100 grand, we'd like to be able to return 200K to them over that five year hold. Pretty standard stuff in the kind of multifamily world. At that level, you've got, you know, third party property management, you've got the contracting crew is separate, you've got definitely bigger project, much bigger capital raise. You know, there's a couple of partners on the general partnership for that project. So just a much bigger deal altogether. And you kind of specialize at that point and you're not doing a lot of the daily stuff that I was doing, say on my six unit. So think back in a time when you decided, hey, you get laid off from your job and you're looking for a solution and you said, hey, real estate is the way to go. Single family house is the way to go. Now, if you had to do it again, based on what you now know, what would you have done differently. And this is the same advice you're going to give someone sitting in the cubicle right now going, dang, I got to do something in my life. I can't continue working 50 plus hours a week. I can't continue not spending time with my family. And they're thinking, oh my gosh, real estate. I think I should be doing real estate. 
Now, you have done a lot of houses. I've done a lot of houses and they make great money, but there was something fundamentally wrong with them, right? Mm -hmm. But you kind of feel at the time like you need to build up track record experience, maybe make some money. Now, knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently? What kind of advice do you have for someone in that situation right now? I guess if I could distill it down to one concept for somebody that's new is, and I don't even know the right term for it, but this term or this concept of borrowed credibility. And that's the wrong term, but you don't have to have $5 million cash in the bank. Now for a multifamily deal, somebody might need to, you might need a signer that's extremely liquid and they're going to get a piece of the deal, but you don't have to have that. You don't necessarily have to have 15 years of property management experience yourself, but a third party property management company that manages 5,000 units in your market So you're building a team with multifamily that is too big. There's no way you're going to do it all yourself. So if you're bringing on a mortgage broker and they've done a billion deals and you're bringing on a signer and they've got a massive liquid net worth and you're bringing on a property management company and they manage 5,000 units in your market, well, you're the quarterback of that team, but you don't necessarily have all those things yourself. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for people that are just getting started is you're the quarterback. You are the CEO of that company. You're not the guy that's doing all the work. And so you can assemble that team probably much easier than, than you think. You might look at a, at a hundred unit multi-million dollar building and go, wow, I could never do that. Well, yeah, you shouldn't do that. You're not going to be the GC, the property manager, all these different roles. You're just going to assemble those to get it done. And so that's what, as syndicators, that's what we do. We're the quarterback and we assemble good deals. That's right. So you talk about borrowed credibility. It's not like you're talking about, hey, Devin, what have you done in the past? Well, you know, let me tell you about my property. Do you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, I know so-and-so. He's great, you know? Yeah, and I'm working with so-and-so. Oh, yeah, I know. That's great. And all of a sudden, you've deflected the question away from you towards your team. And all of a sudden, that major objection about your lack of experience or even lack of your funds is gone away. And it's only because you've built a team together. That's how we're getting the game. That's right. And I think that's maybe what people don't realize in multifamily, but that's what any good business person is going to do is to create a great team to go out and execute a plan. And as the CEO or as the syndicator, an asset manager, whatever it is, you know, if you're spending your time doing all those duties, you're wasting your time. You've really got to focus and specialize on what it is you're good at. In this case, putting the deal together that's going to perform for investors. So in business, you have to have a good team. And so that's what you spend your time putting together. Yeah. Have you failed at anything? Oh, sure. I fail all the time, constantly. You know, pick your favorite, pick your favorite one, Devin. <laughs> I'm constantly failing in terms of improving systems. I'm always trying to improve systems. And so I'm always trying new things. Those are little failures. I think in terms of the thing that stung the most is, you know, a flip house that I ended up losing money on, which, ugh, you know, none of us want to get into this to lose money. But the thing that I walked away from that with was I'm not one of those investors that can say I've never lost a penny. But I am an investor that say I've never lost a penny for an investor. I've lost some of my own money in deals, but I've never lost money for an investor, right? And that's because of the way I structure these things. So losing money on a flip house, definitely no fun. That did cause me to improve some systems and create some things that I think made me much more successful moving forward. So that's kind of an easy failure to point to. I also wish I would have started out as an entrepreneur sooner and I was scared for many, many years. And I consider that a failure because if I would have started 10 years earlier as an entrepreneur, I would be 
much further along than I am now. But look, it's all a journey and I'm enjoying it. But I consider not starting sooner kind of a failure because I just didn't have faith in myself. Yeah. And how did you overcome that? You know, part of it was just biting that bullet and deciding that I wasn't getting any younger and I needed to start living the life that I wanted to because, you know, at the time I quit my job, I'm in like my mid thirties and I'm going, man, you know, if I'm lucky, I live to 70 or 80, I'm halfway there. And I don't know when this someday thing is, but I'm living in it right now. This is someday. And so I just pulled the plug on the job. Super scary. Financially, it was fine. But it was a very scary mental hurdle to get over. But I think that it was a burn the boats approach. You know, I just listened to your podcast with Paul Morris, which I really enjoyed. He said that burn your boats is is not necessary. And I agree. I think I could have been much more strategic and patient about it. But by killing the corporate job, it forced me to grow in a lot of areas very quickly, which, which I'm grateful for. That's awesome. Do you have any major aha moment that stand out for you? Well... The thing that I kind of live by now is that I want every day to be a good last day. I'm not working towards a someday and I'm constantly refining, creating a life that I enjoy every day. And sometimes it means working all day. Sometimes it means taking my kids to go do something or take a trip with my kids. It's definitely a balance of all these things, but I'm not working towards some big payday someday. I'm trying to use real estate to create a life that I love and enjoy every day. And that's, I guess, my big takeaway. Whereas in the corporate world, it always felt like I was working towards some big future event, which I feel like is a waste of energy. Yeah. What are you uh, most excited about right now, Devin? More multifamily stuff. (laughs) You know, I mean, I just love it. And you go in and approve these properties and execute on the business plan. And it's super rewarding to have people put their faith and trust in you in terms of their dollars. And I kind of think of dollars as it's a store of life energy. You know, somebody gives me a hundred grand for a deal. It's not just a hundred grand wire transfer. It is potentially years of their life that's stored up that they've already spent doing something else. And they're trusting me with that stored life energy, I guess. And so to go execute and to get people a good return is super rewarding. I also love the rehab aspect of it. I love taking that 75 unit. We changed the entire block. I mean, the streets were decent around it. And this thing was just a Mm. crime cesspool. The police actually told me one day, like, man, you're crazy for buying this thing. And I said, just wait, you know, have some patience. We got money in the bank. We're going to make it nice. And now they don't come around anymore. But having that impact on the community and at the same time, having a great financial impact on my family's life and on my investors, it's it's a beautiful thing. And I never felt like I got that kind of reward out of the corporate world. So that's what I'm most excited about is growing that business. I love it. So what's the best way for people to connect with you, Devin? Get in contact, probably my company webpage, djetexas.com. So that's Dylan, Jacob, Emily, texas.com. I've got good ways to contact me there. Look at some of my projects and things like that. So people can definitely feel free to reach out through that. All right, good. Well, we'll put that in the show notes, which is the michaelblank.com forward slash session 85. So you guys can connect with Devin here. Devin, listen, I want to thank you for taking the time and sharing your experience and your lessons learned with us. Awesome. Thanks so much, Michael. I really appreciate it. Borrowed credibility. That's the phrase that stuck out for me because that's how we overcome so many of our internal objections about getting started with multifamily. We don't have any credibility. What do we do? We don't have any money. What do we do? Well, we borrow it. We borrow the credibility and that's exactly what Devin talks about. That's what I talk about in the podcast and the ultimate guide to apartment building investing course. 
all the coaching, everything that we do is geared to helping you borrow credibility to get into your first deal. Because I know that once you're able to do your first deal, even if it's only a six unit, the law of the first deal will make that second and third deal come to you in rapid, almost automatic succession. And that's what I love about this business. Anyone can do it, whether you have experience or not, whether you have money or not, is you borrow the credibility. In the call after the podcast, I asked Devin a little bit about what he's doing later. And he goes, man, I got my hands full. I got this 75 unit. We're turning around, just getting a 192 unit. And I'm kind of done for six months. And I said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, we have this acquisition process. And you know, I'm going to hold off for six months on doing this stuff. But you know what? I might bring you a deal. And I said, what do you mean? I said, well, you guys have a, a joint venture program, don't you? I said, yeah, we sure do. We have this deal desk program. He goes, yeah, I mean, if we have the ability to find find deals, I'll bring you the deal. Uh, you guys raise money for it. Maybe I'll help. And then we'll collaborate on the deal itself. That way, I, I'm not doing it myself. And I said, that's a great idea. Go find us a deal. So if you're interested in finding us a deal, you can find more about that at themichaelblanc.com forward slash partner, forward slash partner. If you're interested in investing with us, by the way, you can uh, find more information at themichaelblanc.com forward slash invest. So not only as a passive investor, we'll start the conversation, but we're also doing now, and this is very interesting, guys, is if you have net worth and more importantly, you have access to high net worth individuals, we can actually incorporate you into the general partnership. And this is a really, really meaningful way for you to accumulate equity, not by finding and syndicating a deal, but by helping us raise money. So if you can help raise us more than $500,000 for a deal, we can work you in the general partnership in a very meaningful way. In fact, it'll be equal to or greater than the, the guy who actually finds the deal, negotiates the deal, analyzes the deal, and brings it to us. That's how meaningful that is. So if you can find deals, bring them to us. If you can get us money, bring them to us as well. So that's michaelblanc.com forward slash invest. Both if you're a passive or you want to be a money raiser general partner for us, that will start the conversation. All right, you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.